Romans chapter 1 is what I'm thinking about, but we'll go on from there in Romans. But Romans chapter 1, and it's difficult in King James with that language and what this list that Paul writes, but we'll get through it. So let's just start at uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 14. Paul writing to the church at the assembly at Rome, I am debtor both to Greeks, uh, the Gentiles, and to the barbarians, both the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. So that's basically a, a Gentile audience, the believers at Rome. They're sure that there was probably some Jews amongst them, but this is basically a Gentile, you know, assembly, church. Verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, because, you know, the gospel came from the Jews. The Lord Jesus was a Jew. This was a promise through the Jewish line. We just got through speaking at, at Sunday school, you know, our, our, our Bible study about King David. And how the Lord chose him and said, your kingdom is going to last forever. What did that mean to David? How could that be? So you think that they had some idea of like the millennium. Did, did, did David know that in his lineage, the Messiah was going to be born, the Savior of the world? So, I mean, but anyway, the, the bottom line was David got a hold of this and he acted like what God's promises said. And that's what we're going to come back to. <laughs> the Lord told him, your house, your family, David, and this nation, I'm going to bless forever. And David took that and acted like it was true because it was true. But he got a hold of that. And he made Israel in that day, you know, God's home, the center of the world. And the nations around Israel is basically like a preview of the millennium, when the Lord Jesus Christ himself is going to reign from Israel, from Jerusalem, for a thousand years. And so all the nations all over the world are going to bring tribute and come to Jerusalem to worship. That's basically what David had in his day. He made Israel so powerful, so great, and, and God's home that other all the nations around him were not only subdued, but they paid tribute to to Israel, and they admired Israel and Israel's God. So, back to uh, chapter 1, of verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, and then the rest of us, and also to the Greek. Thank God. For there, for therein is the righteousness of God uh, revealing from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So, um, let's go on. Verse 18. So, we'll go through this list here in verse 18, then we'll go on. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Uh, actually, that's that word hold the truth in unrighteousness. They hold down. They suppress, hold down the truth in 
unrighteousness. Do you know anybody these days that holds down the truth maybe, uh, suppresses the truth? So verse 19, because, now this is, God is speaking globally here, because about all of us, because that which was, I'm sorry, that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even the eternal power and the Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So the things that God created, when, you know, we think of uh, ancient man as being somehow Stone Age and, you know, goofy people, you know, with an intelligence of a, of, you know, a thimble, a pinhead. But these men were smart people. I want, let's see, it's Psalm. I want you to turn with me really quick. I don't want to kill, use a lot of time, but this is just, turn to Psalm 19. Thank you. Psalm 19. Psalm 19, we know, is about the Word of God. But when before that, I'm going to read Psalm 19, just a couple of verses. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament, the skies, show forth his handiwork. Verse 2. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no, no speech nor language, like no sound, where their voice is not heard. And their line has gone out. Uh, I wish I had a better translation. Through the earth, all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he sent a tabernacle for the sun, and so forth. So let me just read the first couple of verses again. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky showeth his handiwork. Many years ago, there was a guy named uh, G. D. G. D. James Kennedy who was just a you know a just regular sinner guy. When the gospel got a hold of him, and he was changed, he turned out to be a really smart fellow, and he was uh, um, uh, uh, a preacher. He became a preacher. He he got saved radically saved. Started studying the Bible. Make a long story short, he wrote a lot of books and he started a lot of things. He was he he was uh, uh, he started evangelism explosion of how to simply share the gospel with other people so that they know you know the Lord Jesus. But for twenty years, he worked on a subject privately and quietly and never told anybody. For twenty years, he studied the zodiac, the signs in the sky, this you know the the stars. And he started writing and charting these things and studying these things. He found out that there's no time in history. You can't go back far enough to where these, these um, am I using the right word, zodiac? These signs in the stars, you can't find a time in history going back far enough where they didn't exist. And they didn't have the same names that they have now. And how they proclaim the gospel in the stars, written in the stars. And he, you know, he studied this for 20 years before he ever said a word. Then he published a book. He published a, like a, a sky, the, uh, what do you call it? A, a chart of the stars. And uh, I'll never read this, 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 because, you know, we think of this um, uh, chapter 19 when it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firm of the sky show his handiwork. Well, you know, we're thinking of the, the sun, the moon, you know, the sky is blue and you see the world and all the creation and. How could we have the sun that's so regular? We find out the sun is just a small star and we don't, you know, the sun doesn't spin around the world. We spin around the sun, the center of our, our little um, 
solar system. This is our little solar system that we have. And we got like nine planets and all. And so as time went on, you know, because in those days, people, you know, didn't have a lot of, they didn't have electricity. They had candles and such. So they would see things at night. They didn't have a lot of light at night, in other words. They would see those stars every night. And they could tell you things about the stars that, you know, we don't understand. The stars all rotate for us pretty much close to the North Star. That's like the center and everything. All the other stars rotate and they knew that. And that's how people, you know, later on with a compass and understanding the, the, the stars at nighttime, people could, you know, plot their 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 plan across an ocean and stay on track because they knew the stars and the and, and their places. That's incredible. Man was not ignorant or, or foolish or dumb, foolish, I should say, but not dumb. This, uh, you know, uh, ancient men knew a lot about this and the marvels that we see from ancient times. And so here is, if you care to look at it, in, written in the stars, the gospel, how the Lord Jesus Christ was sent from heaven to be a man, to live, to die, to, to bear our sins, to be raised again, all written in the stars. So I never read that, 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 that psalm the same again. So, so Paul is saying, verse 21, back in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain. So, well, let me go back up to 20. I just want to read this one more time. Verse 20. The invisible things of him from creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that were made. Even the eternal power of God, the, the eternal power of the Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I think there was two things, eternal power and the Godhead. Okay, so they knew that this creation was not an accident. It's not random. Anybody can figure this out, you know. If you see a watch, you know there's got to be a watchmaker. You see this universe, there's a universe maker. So they knew this. Now let's go to 21. Because that when they knew God, they knew that man, God created men with the knowledge of himself in them. And this God-shaped void in their hearts and their souls to know God. So that's why this is so damning. That's why this is so important, because, again, 21, because uh, that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but some became vain in their imaginations, and, the, and, the, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of uncorruptible God into the image like corruptible men that uh, the, and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Men started worshiping the creation instead of the creator. Verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to unclean thoughts, the lust of their own hearts, and to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the... This would be like soul. Who changed. You, you make a transaction. They sold the truth 
of God, changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature, God's creation, the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. They, the men willingly did this. Verse 26. For this cause, gave God gave them over to their vile affections, for even their women did change their natural use unto that which is, um, is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving their natural use of the women, burned in lust with one towards another, men with men, working that which was uh, unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense which um, of which their error was meet. Now, this was written 2,000 years ago, but it's been true since, uh, you know, creation of man. Verse 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient or not proper, decent, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate. You don't have to murder someone to murder them, you know what I mean, to commit murder. You just have to hate someone. God, the Lord Jesus says that's committing murder. Debate, deceit, um, is that malignity and uh, whispers or gossips, backbiters. There's verse 30, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Get this, in the middle of this horrible list, disobedient to parents. That is the fifth commandment of uh, Ten Commandments. Yeah, four was uh, four is keep the Sabbath. The first commandment relating man's relationship to other men is honor your father and mother. So when you're disobedient to your parents, see, if you break that commandment, you are guaranteed not honoring your parents, not obeying your parents, you are guaranteed you're going to break the other ten. Because if you don't learn discipline, and that you know, as a child, respecting your parents, you don't learn that in authority, you don't understand authority and you know, position, you'll break the other ten commandments. You don't, you, you're, you're gonna, you're a goner. Verse 31 without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which control, I mean, commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that go along with them and do them. So that's a picture of humanity. And uh, that's what Paul starts out with in chapter 1 of Romans. So let's quickly turn to chapter 3 and uh, verse um, 23. So Paul is just making a case that all have sinned. Every one of us. 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And uh, turn to chapter 6 really quick. Go ahead and move over to chapter 6, a few pages over, to get the, the next verse and, uh, you know, this thought, the Roman road. The last verse in chapter 6, 6.23. For the wages of sin, now that we're convinced that everybody has sinned, everybody. There's none that does good, no, not one. None that seeks God, no, not one. Verse 20, all we like sheep, uh, he, he quotes later on. All, he quotes uh, uh, Isaiah 53, all, 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned our, to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So it's chapter 6, 23, 
For the wages of sin, since we've all sinned, the wages of sin, the payment for sin, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Turn back to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 8 of Romans. So, uh, we see that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So, verse 8 of 6, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't come for good people. He came for sinners. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So now turn to chapter uh, chapter 10. This is the Lord's um, this is the Lord's answer. If you want to find the Lord Jesus Christ and understand his plan, chapter 10 verse oh let's back up a little bit. <clears throat> Verse 6, chapter 10, verse um, 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend unto heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But, verse 8, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy, in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. So we're talking about uh, a man being saved through faith, by grace through faith. Grace is the gift of God. Grace is heaven. Grace is salvation, the gift of God. But faith is the key that unlocks the door to heaven. So verse verse 8 again. What saith that the word is nigh thee, even in the mouth, and the, what in thy heart, that that is the word of faith, which is we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Now, what in the world does that mean? Those two words, Lord Jesus, is particularly important when you just read this little verse. You could be lost and say, well, you just say the word, you know, Lord Jesus. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. It means, okay, Jesus is the man. <laughs> Uh, the Lord is his title. Christ was his title, the Messiah. So when you say, when you talk about the Lord Jesus, you're talking about the God-man. When he was born, he was not just a little baby boy. He was God the Son come in human flesh. That's what you're saying when you say those two words, the Lord Jesus. You are, you are putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that he's God the Son. He was also a man. Right now he is a man glorified in heaven. When the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he rose in a glorified body. He could walk through walls without opening the door. He could eat fish and bread, even though, you know, he wasn't, he was proving to his disciples, look, touch me, hand me, you know, touch me, handle me, he says. See, I'm not a spirit. I'm not a ghost. Ghosts can't eat food. Right? Like you see me eating. We don't have like flesh and bone that you, you know, that you see that I have. You know, look at the, touch my hands. Put your finger, he says to Thomas, through the hole in my hand. Touch my side where the spear was. So when the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead, those scars were still there. 
And now he is a man glorified in heaven in a glorified body. Everyone else that the Lord raised from the dead, particularly like Lazarus. Lazarus was his friend, Lazarus, uh, the brother of Martha and Mary. Lazarus was dead for four days. Now, that's what the Jews considered really dead. You know, they thought on in three days, you know, maybe there's a hope, you know, a day or two or three. Maybe there's some sort of hope that God will revive them. When you're dead four days, they considered that to be really dead. So the Lord raised him up on the fourth day. Now, Lazarus, that was a great miracle. Who could do that? And the Jews, you know, in their blind jealousy and hatred, it blinded them. They said, well, we're going to kill Lazarus too because people are believing on the Lord Jesus because of him. He just raised him back to dead. They said, well, we're going to kill him too. That's how blind they were. So by jealousy and rage. So Lazarus eventually had to die again. He wasn't going to live forever. He'll be raised in the resurrection, just like the Lord said. But he's going to, all those people that the Lord raised back to earth, you know, back to life after they died, the little girl, the little boy, they, they all died again. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he rose from the dead, he died, he rose to never, never, never die again. And that's the kind of body we're going to get in the resurrection. So when you say these two words, I mean, this is loaded. This is a loaded statement. When you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, it means his birth, that he's God the Son, his life, his miracles. When he died on the cross and rose from the grave, never to die again, and he's in heaven now interceding for us, that's what you're saying when you say the Lord Jesus. If you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, he was dead. They put a dead body in that tomb. They wrapped him up and prepared him for burial. The Romans, you know, these masters of crucifixion, they knew when someone was dead. They made sure that Jesus was dead. The Jews, you know, uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came to bury him. They prepared him for burial. They wrapped him up in all these strips of linen cloth with all these spices because they put a dead body in that grave. Now, the Lord Jesus obviously was not, you know, his body was dead, but he was, you know, with, you know, uh, his father, his spirit. You know, this spirit, you know, you cannot kill a spirit. It's forever. So they put a dead body in that grave. So then for with, <clears throat> so I'm sorry that, uh, so when you confess with the mouth of the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, never to die again, you will be saved. This is so simple. Verse 10, for with the heart, man believeth under righteousness. <clears throat> in other words, when you put your faith in, 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 in the risen Lord, in spite of your sin, well, we just read, you know, um, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for sinners he paid for our sins so when you when you uh, um believe these things i'm sorry i've lost my place verse 10 for with the heart man believes unto righteousness you are made right with god when you believe these things and with your mouth you make this confession 
with the mouth. Confession is made unto salvation. You're speaking simply what you believe to be true according to the scriptures. That's how someone is saved. I know it sounds a little bit confusing, and I'm going to turn to uh, Acts 16. Turn to Acts 16. So go backwards to your left to Acts 16 really quickly. And we're just going to wrap this up in a word. Acts chapter 16. <clears throat> Paul is uh, in a jail in Philippi. He and Silas were thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. And then, uh, oh, I think we talked about this last, last Sunday. So they're thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. They're putting the inner jail in stocks and in chains. And then at midnight, they're singing, you know, praise songs. And then the, there's an earthquake. All the jail doors burst open. All the chains fall off. The jailer thinks he's done. Everybody's gone. He just sees the open doors. He's about to kill himself. But verse 28, but Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm for we're here. And he called for a light and sprang in. He came in, running in, trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, this again, these are loaded statements. Believe on the Lord. There's that, those words again, the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. Now, when they, when the jailer took him, the, you know, Paul and Silas home, cleaned him up, fed them. Paul and Silas had a chance to unpack those words. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord God, Jesus, the man, Christ, the Messiah. They unpacked all these things. They explained who Jesus was. But in a nutshell, that's salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Back in, back in uh, Romans 10, 10, for with the mouth man believeth unto righteousness, and with the, I'm sorry, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. You're made right with God by your belief, your faith in Him. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture, verse is going on, verse 11, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth in Him shall not be shamed, for there is no difference between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So this is the gospel in a nutshell. So I want to uh, 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 go back now to chapter 8. Chapter 8. Now, chapter in Romans, chapter 8, we got just a couple of minutes left. Chapter 7 is all about Paul being a saved man, but not uh, operating, not listening to the, not being led by the Spirit of God. And so you read chapter 7, you'll find out that three times the Apostle Paul says, sin lives in me. Well, I thought, I thought we were saved. Ooh, we are saved. And we're saved forever. And we're headed for heaven. But we're still in these bodies and stint, sin still lives in us. That's why it's just under the surface for the rest of our lives. Sin is just under the surface. And remember the Lord told Cain, who brought, you know, his sacrifice was not accepted. Abel's sacrifice was accepted. Cain's jealous, jealous of his little brother Abel back in Genesis, from the very beginning. And Cain, God tells Cain, look, sin is crouching at your door. 
It wants to take your life and control you. It wants to consume you. And he says, and God says, but you must master it. You must get a hold of this thing. You know, you've got a chance to repent. But God is telling Cain's already, you know, he's already planning on killing his little brother. So you've got a chance to repent. His offering wasn't accepted. You've got a chance to make it right with God. And he didn't. So he kills his little brother. Murder, the first murder. Firstborn son on the earth kills his, murders his little brother. That's our history. That's where we came from. So just like that, sin is still living in us. It's condemned, but it's still alive in us. It's just under the surface for the rest of our lives. And we're not going to be rid of this until we leave these bodies. We get a glorified body like the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're in heaven with him. Then, in heaven, no sin. No bad words. No bad actions. Not even a bad thought in your mind for the rest of eternity. That's when we're pure, gone. It's gone. But in this life, we still struggle with this. So you see Paul struggling with this in chapter 7. But then in chapter 8, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. All gone. Our sentence of death is gone. There's no condemnation. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Sin brings death in your life. I'm sure that we can relate to that. You let sin get a little hold in your life, just like Cain did. You let sin get a toehold in your life. Even believers, you know, you let sin get a hold of your uh, some area of your life, whether, you know, whether it's your, your, your language, you know, and, and, and profanity, or for men if it's, uh, or if it's uh, pornography, or, or whatever it is, or, you're, or some bad habits, whatever it is, even if you're saved, you give sin a little toehold, man, it's got a stronghold in you. Doesn't mean you're condemned. There's no condemnation for anybody in Christ. Anybody in Christ. If you're in Christ, if you're saved, you're saved forever. And there's no condemnation. However, <laughs> since sin still lives in us, verse, uh, uh, let's go on down. Well, let's just read verse 3. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now you're going to see that little statement played out in the rest of chapter 8. Not walking after the flesh, not listening to the flesh, not obeying the flesh, that's a sin that dwells in us. You don't listen to that. You don't obey it. You recognize that it's sin. And instead of doing that, you walk after the Spirit. Verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded or fleshly minded, sinfully minded, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace in Christ. So uh, that's the rest of chapter Eight. So let's go on to, um, I'm going to read towards the end of 8. Let's just read chapter 8, verse 28. Because all these things are true. Because we know that sin live, lives in us. And we're supposed to be walking after the flesh, not listening to the Spirit. 
the flesh brings death, the spirit brings life. Verse 28. And we know that all things <clears throat> work together for the good of them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. That's us people that are saved, the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, also he did predestinate to be conformed to the thing, to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn. That's the Lord Jesus Christ is the firstborn among many brethren. Since he resurrected, we're going to res we're going to be resurrected as well. Let me just move on down. Uh, verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In other words, if we are dealing with uh, little things and little, you know, the habits and the things in our mind, the sin that dwells in us, you know, we have the power to overcome those things. And and so he that spared not his own son, but delivered him us for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? We can work. We can have victory over these things. Verse 33, who shall say anything to, <clears throat> to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justify. Who that is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Now, the next several, four or five verses is about nothing can separate us from God. Nothing can separate us from God. Nothing can separate us from God. Then chapters 9, 10, and 11 are about the Jews. Now let's go to chapter 12, because that's a parenthesis. So remember the last thing we said, you know, uh, we're not condemned. We need to walk by the flesh. I'm um, walk by the spirit, not by the flesh. Turn right to chapter 12 and you pick up Paul's thoughts after this parenthesis about the Jews. Okay. In chapter 12, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, therefore means because all this is true. We are saved. That's forever. We have this. We have the flesh living in us, sin living in us, until we leave this, until we leave this body, and we're to obey the spirit, not the flesh. So, verse twelve, chapter twelve, verse one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, because all these things are true, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed. This is the rest of your life. Now that you're saved, that's just one step of the rest of your life. Here's the rest of your life. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what we do for the rest of our lives. So <clears throat> that's why we have the Word of God. That's why we have the Bible. And it answers all of our questions you know, right here. So thank God that this is, a, uh, you know, the gospel doesn't have to be confusing. And how we live now doesn't have to be confusing. You know, being obedient to the spirit, not to the flesh. The things that we think about, you know, control our lives. We ought to be thinking about things above, not on things below. Things that are spiritual, not things that are carnal. And that is the key to the rest of our life. And forever giving thanks to God. That really changes, you know, Everything about you, when you start giving thanks to God for everything, everything, even what we call bad things, you know, that happened to us. We think, you know, I remember Joseph, you know, all the bad things that happened to Joseph, his brothers were going to kill him because they were jealous all over, deja vu all over again, right? Abel was, was going to kill his little brother. Cain was going to kill his little brother, Abel. So Joseph, 
He suffered all these years, was sold into slavery, thrown into jail for doing what was right after that on Potiphar's house. All these years. Finally, he's made second in authority under Pharaoh and to save what? To save his own family from this famine that God has sent. So <clears throat> Joseph never complains. You know, God uses him in a way he never saw this coming. Joseph never, I shouldn't say that because God gave him two dreams. And he must have had some idea, somehow, through all of these bad things, God is still in control. He must have believed it. And sure enough, all those bad things God used to save his family, to save all of Egypt, to save the world and that, that, part, of the, that part of the world, to save the world from death. So, same for us. When we follow the Lord Jesus Christ and walk by faith and not by sight, not following the flesh, giving thanks to him, it changes everything in our lives. The Lord Jesus Christ with us changes everything. So the bottom line is we have um, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We have the Lord Jesus Christ with us. Paul says we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and he dwells in us. And we have the Word of God, the living, breathing Word of God in front of us. We have all these things to encourage us, help us through this time that we have now before we enter eternity and preparing us to enter, enter eternity. So thank, so thankful for the Word of God and you know, making these things clear to us. We can have total confidence. So... Just like David telling him his family and his kingdom is going to endure forever. David didn't understand what that looked like a thousand years out, but he got a hold of it for himself. We, we don't understand what heaven is going to, what God has got in store for us, but we can get a hold of what it means for us today. He's with us. The Holy Spirit's in us. We have the word of God, you know, in front of us. We've got all these things and we can be confident that God is for us. Amen.